Trinity Church. Uh, my name is Chris Kiley, and uh, I serve on the, the elder team here at Trinity Church. And on behalf of the elders and the search committee, uh, I stand before you this morning. Uh, first, uh, what I'd like to do is uh, to recognize the pastor search committee. Uh, so uh, any of you that were on the pastor search committee, uh, Katie, Tom, Carol, and Joe, would you stand for a minute? I was blessed to be able to work uh, with this incredible team as God led us through the process. And one of the things I can say is that through the process, we prayed that God would send us his man. And uh, it was a long process. There was a lot of candidates. But in the end, we believe God was true to his word and true to that prayer uh, by sending us Pastor Josh. For that, we're grateful. Uh, that he led us uh, to Pastor Josh, and we're also grateful uh, for his blessing over us as a church in that transition. Uh, he guided our steps, and as such, I hereby certify that Josh Benner has been called to lead pastor under the guidance of God through prayerful deliberations of our church fellowship as prescribed by our church constitution. Pastor Josh. I hereby accept this call because I know that it is the call of God for me and my family, and I dedicate myself to faithfully carry out the position of pastor of Trinity Church with the Lord's help and with your prayerful support. Would you pray with me? Father, we recognize your love for your church, especially this church, Trinity Church. God, we thank you that the specific ways that your hand has been seen in this process. We thank you, God, for our new pastor, Josh Benner, and especially the ways that he is uniquely suited to care for this flock. I pray your blessing, your anointing over him, Lord, as uh, he goes forth in ministry. May we support him in all that he does. Uh, when, may each of us be a blessing to him uh, as we go forth together, ministering to this community and as a faith community. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. This is an exciting day. Uh, we're here today. This is called an installation service. We're here to install Pastor Josh. And uh, installing a pastor is kind of a funny phrase, isn't it? Uh, I was actually talking a few years back uh, to a church member of an evangelical free church uh, of a church up in Maine, and we were preparing for an installation service. And this church member commented to me about the strangeness of this phrase, uh, an installation service. Now, this fellow said, I know how to install a dryer, uh, a stove, a refrigerator, but I have no idea how to install a pastor. <laughs> um, let me explain what we're looking to do here. 
An installation is about recognizing the fittedness of this occasion, of God providing a person to be in the church for, to fulfill his call. Um, if you go to a, a store and you see a snazzy new refrigerator, it's good to look at, but it's not doing any functional good in the showroom. There's a fitted place for that refrigerator in your home. And God has called uh, Pastor Josh and his family here uh, for a function. And today we recognize that it's him, God, who has called Josh. And there's a function, there's a plan, there's a work he has for him to do in this congregation. And we're recognizing that today. So my task this morning is twofold. Um, I get to deliver two messages this morning. A charge to the congregation and a charge to Pastor Josh. This really is a preacher's dream. Two sermons, all right. So first, I'm going to uh, speak to you, the congregation, a charge to the congregation. And we're going to look at Ephesians 4, uh, 11 to 16. If you have a, a Bible, you can turn there. I believe it'll also be uh, on the, the screen behind me. Uh, this may be one of the best passages to look at in considering uh, a job description for a pastor in Christ's church. So let me read uh, verses 11 uh, through 16 of Ephesians 4. It says, And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Uh, let's consider from this passage uh, what a pastor is first. You know, what is a pastor? Uh, this, pastor, uh, this passage here uh, reveals uh, God's design for His church. And it says, first of all, that God gives gifts to His church. Uh, the first song we sang today talked about God loving the world so much He gave His Son. God, God is a giver. But He didn't stop with giving us Jesus. He's continuing to give gifts to His church. And God's gifts are most often given in people. It says He gave, and then it lists a whole uh, list of types of people he gave to his church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And those are different types of leadership gifts for the purpose of building Christ's church up. Um, as, it is, as the church is led by those with evangelistic gifting, the church reaches out to share the gospel in word and deed. Uh, as the church is led by those with apostolic gifting, uh, they begin new ministries in the community and plant new churches. As the church is led by those with prophetic gifting, the church grows in knowledge, truth, and vision. And as the church is led by, gift, by those with a gift of shepherding and teaching, the church grows in the character of Jesus and obedience to Jesus. Uh, this word here that we read this morning, shepherd, it's often translated pastor, same root word. So it's from this passage that we understand what a pastor is called to do. A pastor is called to be a shepherd. 
Now, if we don't come back to the Scriptures to get our understanding of the pastoral task, we'll easily apply all kinds of other definitions and expectations to the pastoral role. Uh, Let me give you a few common ones. Uh, In our culture, uh, a pastor is often thought of primarily in an organizational understanding, uh, being the CEO of a religious organization. Now, there are organizational responsibilities uh, to the shepherding role, but that is not a pastor's primary task. A pastor is not primarily a CEO of a religious organization. Or other people view the pastoral uh, role primarily as being a chaplain, um, uh, wanting to be with people during significant moments of life, uh, birth, marriage, death. Or I've heard it referred to as the hatch, match, and dispatch version of the pastoral task. Now, it's important for pastors to care for people during those times. But again, a chaplaincy is not a pastor's primary calling. Or or for others, their understanding of the pastoral role is that of a uh, a celebrity of sorts that can attract more people to the church through their uh, good looks, uh, good preaching, uh, and Josh has both. Uh, It can draw people into the church, and therefore the goal is for the, the pastor to grow the number of attenders. Well, of course we want to reach more people, but uh, there are a lot of really good pastors who are the last thing from a celebrity. Now, when we look at this uh, passage here, we're reminded that a pastor is primarily called to be a shepherd. And what does that mean? Well, let me remind you what this entails. Uh, first of all, uh, a shepherd is someone who knows the sheep. <laughs> Uh, A shepherd can't shepherd well if a shepherd does not know the sheep they are caring for, their unique needs and situations. So shepherding is inherently relational. Uh, Shepherding requires relationship. Now, with a church of this size, Josh can't know everybody uh, intimately. So that's why we need there to be a plurality of shepherds in the church, other spiritual leaders that are caring relationally for the needs of the body. Uh, But a pastor is overseeing that shepherding ministry of the church. So a shepherd, first of all, knows the sheep. Uh, Secondly, a a pastor or a shepherd feeds the sheep. And as you probably well know, when we talk about feeding the sheep, we are talking about the Word of God being preached and taught. Jesus famously said, man does not live by bread alone, by every word that comes from the mouth of God, that we as people need to hear from the Lord about who He is, how he has designed life to work, what his expectations are of us. And pastors teach and feed the church God's Word. And I'm so thankful for Josh's commitment uh, to the authority of the Word of God. And it's not his own ideas that he brings. Uh, it's God's Word brought to God's people uh, to feed them. A shepherd knows the sheep. A shepherd feeds the sheep. A shepherd protects the sheep. Right? You probably have seen images or paintings or pictures, and usually the shepherd has a staff, right? Uh, it's not just for looks. That's for protection. That's for driving off uh, enemies. Uh, a shepherd protects the sheep uh, from the dangers and the enemies of sin. Um, that danger is within us. So a shepherd needs to be protecting the sheep even from themselves, from the dangers of worldliness, being co-opted by the value systems of this world that would lead us astray from God and His good purposes, from false teaching that can distort the truth of the Scriptures. A shepherd is protecting God's people from being led astray. 
A shepherd knows the sheep. A shepherd feeds the sheep. A shepherd protects the sheep, and a shepherd leads the sheep. That uh, God gives direction and vision to his church primarily through spiritual leaders. And that how this works is that the congregation affirms the call of God on some person, on a spiritual leader, to provide leadership. And then there's a willingness to follow in the direction that God is leading. And again, this is why it's so important for there to be a plurality of leaders in the church. That it's not just one person dictating where the church should go, but a community of spiritual leaders. And the church is looking uh, for how God is going to lead the church through their leadership. Uh, Hebrews 13, verses 7 and 17 speak to this, where it says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Listen to this. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage for you. Pastors are shepherds who know the sheep, who feed the sheep, who protect the sheep, and who lead the sheep. That's what they do, but the question is, unto what end? Why is God calling pastors to be those kind of people who know, feed, protect, and lead His sheep? Well, again, Ephesians 4 tells us the end to which God has in mind. Uh, let me uh, read again verses 11 to 14, where it said God gave this, these spiritual leaders to the church. It says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." so that we may no longer be children. And I'll stop there. Do you hear all those, those wording, all those phrases there? They're all saying the same kind of thing in different ways. They're saying that God intends pastors to equip the saints. Uh, that is, that the pastor is not the only minister of the church. The pastor is equipping a whole community of ministers. Uh, the pastor is looking to grow the saints up in unity and the knowledge of Jesus teaching them to know the very things he knows. A pastor is looking to mature the saints to no longer be children in their understanding. So, so this is all about equipping, growing, maturing. See, God's purpose for his people is that we would grow up into Christ. And what that looks like is unity with one another and maturity in character. That's what God intends for you all, is that you all would grow in unity and grow in the grace and the knowledge and the character of Jesus Christ. That's why God has called Pastor Josh here. Now, it's a beautiful picture. God calling a pastor, God preparing a church, God's intention that together we would grow up in maturity, in character, in love, all of this pointing to who Christ is so that more people in the world would want this. It's a beautiful picture. And in some ways, this beautiful picture reminds me of uh, what I often say to couples on their wedding day. In some ways, an installation service is a little bit like a wedding day, where you have two parties very excited about the future together, sensing they have been drawn together for a beautiful future. And whenever I do a, uh, a perform a wedding uh, ceremony, I always paint this beautiful picture of, of oneness that God calls man and wife together in oneness. And always in the ceremony, I then stop and say, you know what? There's only two problems with this beautiful picture. 
Then I point first to the groom, problem number one, and to the bride, problem number two. <laughs> so today on this installation service, there's only two problems with this beautiful vision for the church. Problem number one. <laughs> problem number two. You've called an imperfect pastor, and you are an imperfect church. So how does this plan work out with an imperfect pastor and an imperfect church? Well, let me offer you three uh, recommendations. First, allow Josh and Carrie and Robbie and future children, uh, allow them to be sheep, not just shepherd. Uh, first and foremost, Josh is a follower of Jesus Christ. He is a sheep himself. Um, don't ever forget that. Therefore, there will be growth for him. There will be need for him to confess sin. Now, he will, at times, fall short, just like you, at times, will fall short. And so there needs to be the expectation that you have called, first of all, a sheep to be part of this flock. Allow Josh, Carrie, and their children to be sheep in this family. Encourage them. Uh, don't have unrealistic expectations of them, and especially for their family. Um, they need to be regular people as part of this community. I know that was very important for my family uh, to sense that there was genuine friendship um, among uh, the church. So first and foremost, allow Josh and Carrie and Robbie to be sheep as part of this flock. Secondly, allow Josh to be your shepherd. You have called him here as your pastor. Uh, listen to this phrase. I believe that Josh hasn't been called just to be the pastor of the church you attend. He has been called to be your pastor. You see the difference? If it's pastor of the church you attend, it's primarily an organizational arrangement. And therefore, if you like what's happening in the organization, you'll be pleased with Pastor Josh. But pastor of the, of, or your pastor is someone who's more like a coach, who actually has voice in your life, that you're looking to learn from his teaching and follow the outcome of his way of life. And I encourage you to allow Pastor Josh to be your pastor. Uh, and at times, that will be a challenge, because all of us as imperfect people struggle to allow someone else to direct us in life. But this is the way of Jesus. We are in humility, allowing others to help us grow up in Christ-likeness. Allow Josh to be your shepherd. And then third, and most importantly, together, together, look to Jesus to be the great shepherd. I mean, Josh is a gift to this church, but he is not this church's savior. You already have a savior, a good shepherd who has already given his life for you. Never tire in making much of Jesus. Consider him, learn from him, listen to him, follow him. It is Jesus who is the great shepherd of this church, and he has given Pastor Josh as an under-shepherd. So together, look to him. All right, I want you all to take a deep breath at this point. Sermon number one, finished, all right? Um, have you ever felt like you were at a church service and the pastor was speaking directly to you? That is true today, all right? But you all are welcome to listen in. Josh, this is for you. And I want to look at another text of Scripture, 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26. And uh, these are words from the Apostle Paul uh, to Timothy. 
is often referred to as a pastoral epistle, a pastoral letter. Um, and so I think these are very appropriate words. 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. There's a lot to be said here in this passage, but I want to pull out four reminders for you, Josh, out of this text. Uh, First of all, from this text, I want to encourage you to know your identity. You are the Lord's servant. Now, in saying that you're the Lord's servant, you are recognizing, first of all, that you're not your own servant. Uh, Your identity is not tied up in who you say you are or in even what you do. Your identity is grounded in belonging to the Lord, not to yourself. And this only makes sense, doesn't it? After all, none of us creates ourselves. None of us saves ourselves. We belong to the one who has done both, our creator and our redeemer. This idea of our identity being tied up in belonging to God, not to self, it really does go against the grain of our culture's current thinking, which views self-definition, self-service, and self-actualization as the path to freedom. And one of the chief ways this happens in our culture is to make our vocation the basis of our identity. Now, our work is meant to be a good thing, used by God, but it's not meant to be the basis for our identity. And when work becomes our identity, success goes to our heads and failure goes to our hearts. Uh, When work becomes our identity, it becomes crushing, not freeing. But when your identity is grounded in belonging to the Lord, then you are freed from the crushing weight of performance, of treating every sermon, every counseling session uh, as a um, leadership test to pass or fail. Praise God, we don't have to be our own servants, but can instead live with confidence and security and belonging to the Lord. Also in saying that your identity is grounded in being the Lord's servant, you are also recognizing that not only do you not belong to yourself, but you also don't belong to the others that you are serving. Now, yes, you're called to serve them, but your identity is not based on your service to them. Your identity is based in the Lord. And if your identity is based in belonging to those that you are serving, then you will make it your aim to meet every need, to be available for every phone call, to answer every question and solve every doubt. And there's three problems with that. First, you are finite and you will burn out fast if that's your intention. Secondly, you are sinful and you will fall short at times. And three, the church is sinful and their expectations will be unrealistic at times. If your identity is tied up in being their servant, it will become almost impossible not to become bitter at some points. So, Josh, first of all, know your identity. You are not your own servant. You are not a servant belonging to others. You are the Lord's servant, created by Him in His image, bought at the cost of His blood, made to be a child of God and co-heir with Christ. Your identity is not defined by your ministry to others, but by Christ's ministry to you. Remind yourself of this often. Secondly, no reality. And here's the reality. Ministry is not easy because it's opposed. I mean, Paul instructed Timothy that he would have to endure evil and correct opponents. I mean, not the 
most uplifting installation service message. <laughs> what he's saying here is that pastoral ministry isn't always easy, and people aren't always happy. And we will quickly become discouraged if we think that ministry should not involve opposition. You, when we look at the Scriptures, we see that Jesus' ministry involved great opposition. Religious leaders constantly challenged Him, tried to trip Him up. Um, Jesus wisely engaged with them. His own disciples at times tried to dissuade Him from His calling. Uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter, faced opponents. He famously said uh, to the religious leaders, we must obey God rather than men. And Paul, I mean, all of his letters seem to be about opposition. He received opposition from Jewish leaders, from Christian leaders, from those, who, from those he discipled, and from his colleagues. Lots of the New Testament is filled with instruction to leaders facing opposition. So one of the greatest lies you will face is that if you can do things right and correctly in ministry, then things will be easy. And that's just not the case. Effective ministry necessarily involves opposition because we are engaging in a battle for the souls of people. Ministry is not a Hallmark movie. It's more like Saving Private Ryan. There's real danger, there's real battle, and there's real casualties. That's because there's real opposition. But you must remember, the source of the opposition is not the people themselves. The Lord's servant, it said, will face opponents who have been captured by Satan to do his will. What a tough phrase that was. See, we are engaged in a spiritual battle, not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil that are wreaking havoc among humanity today. But we're told, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So Josh, no reality. Ministry is opposed, but people are not the ultimate source of the opposition. Third, know your calling. Know how you are called to engage opposition. Uh, let me read this verse again. It says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. We have to know reality that ministry is a battle, but we have to know that this battle is fought differently. I mean, in 2 Corinthians 10, we're told that the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. See, when dealing with opposition, we will either respond in the flesh or in the spirit. Responding in the flesh is doing just what comes naturally. When facing opposition, fight or flight. That's the flesh. I either got to attack the person attacking me or run away from the person attacking me. And we have a different possibility in the spirit. Paul doesn't say to fight or flight. He says, correct his opponent with gentleness. That we are to engage opposition gently. That's not weakness. That's strength under control, knowing how to not back down without flying off the handle, knowing how to confront sin while offering mercy, knowing how to speak truth with grace. Josh, you're called to a place of spiritual leadership, and you will face opposition. And one of your greatest weapons in correcting the lies of the evil one is through the ministry of gentle confrontation. Fourth, and don't worry, I will send these to you later, so <laughs> don't need to feverishly remember or write notes. Fourth, know that the results of your ministry are up to the Lord. Now, did you catch the end of that phrase, the end of the passage? It said, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil 
after being captured by him to do his will. Meaning, they may not. See, the idol of ministry success is the downfall of many pastors. We rightly want people to come to know Jesus and grow in Jesus. We want the church to thrive. But ultimately, only God can produce the growth. So in times when growth is not seen, and there will be those times, remember the servants of the Lord like Jeremiah, who faithfully served the Lord without seeing people respond as he desired. And in times when growth is seen, and there will be those times, remember Jesus' words to his disciples when they returned from a successful mission trip. And he said to them, Don't rejoice that the demons submit to you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Ministry growth is a fickle thing, both in terms of breadth, meaning more people, and depth, spiritual maturity. We can't directly cause either. But at the end of the day, I pray that you can lay your head to rest and sleep well, entrusting the results of your ministry to the Lord. So remember these four truths. Know your identity. You are the Lord's servant. Know reality. Ministry is opposed. Know your calling. You're called to engage opposition uh, with the gospel of Jesus in a spirit of gentleness. And know that the results of your ministry are in the Lord's good hands. So, now we get to install you, Josh. <laughs> uh, at this time, I'm going to invite you and Carrie to come on up front. Also, uh, the deacons and the, and the elders also uh, to join us up here. And uh, what we're going to do is we are going to pray uh, for Pastor Josh. We're going to lay, uh, I'm going to read uh, some, first some words from 2 Timothy to him. Then we're going to lay hands on him and pray. And by laying hands on him, we are signifying that God has called Pastor Josh to this church. We're also asking that God would give him the power to carry out the work he's called him to do. And we're asking God to bless him. I mean, it's our desire that not only would uh, Josh and Carrie be a blessing to this church, but that you all will be a blessing to this family. So we're going to pray for God's blessing on Pastor Josh as well. So, Josh, I'm going to read uh, from 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, and then we'll go right to prayer, okay? I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Let's lay hands on Josh and Carrie and pray for them. Lord God, we come before you humbly with grateful hearts that you brought us here together as a church family and that you have honored Trinity Church as a community of believers who sought your favor to bless this church with a leader who we believe is your servant. And we ask, Lord, now that you would fill him with your presence and fill us with your love that we would support Josh. And not only he only, but also for his dear helpmate, Carrie. Lord, it's an important job that they're going to have here, but we want them to know that we are standing not only alongside them, but we are standing here to support them in the word and on all the direction that you have given to us through your spirit. 
Lord, we thank you. We come before you with grateful hearts today, and we thank you for Pastor Josh and Carrie and for the whole family. We pray that you would put your protection, your full armor on them, Lord, and protect them, that we would be a body that would be encouraging and come alongside them, Lord, and always minister to them and remember that they are sheep also, Lord. May he bring the word boldly to you every week, Lord, your word. Um, may we receive it with open hearts, Lord. Yeah. Father, we thank you for this exciting time in the life of this faith community where we can stand shoulder to shoulder with each other in unity uh, as you have brought Josh and Carrie to us, Lord, uh, to minister. Uh, Father, I pray your anointing over him. I pray, Lord, that as my brother uh, prayed, that you would give him boldness. Uh, that in every sphere that he steps into, whether it be behind the pulpit or in the community, Lord, that your words would speak through him. Uh, Father, we uh, thank you for this day. We thank you for your uh, faithfulness to our prayers uh, through the process of uh, the search process, Lord. We, we thank you that you have called your man here. Yes. We pray that you would, uh, would bless him and anoint him this day. Lord God, we thank you that you are a good shepherd, and you lead us, and you provide for us. We thank you for providing uh, for Trinity Evangelical Free Church. Uh, you provided a pastor, and we are grateful, Lord. God, we thank you for uh, Josh and for Carrie. Thank you for them, their faith in you. Thank you for calling them to yourself through faith in Jesus Christ. And God, I pray for them, that they continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. God, I pray that you be protecting them, uh, Lord, from the deceitfulness of sin, uh, Lord, from accusation and from temptation and from discouragement. God, we pray you'd fill them with your spirit, that you would give them strength and uh, compassion and gentleness. Lord, the task that you have called uh, Josh to is more than he can do on his own. So God, would you fill him with your spirit and would you do in him and through him uh, what is impossible uh, without you. And so thank you, Lord, that you never call us uh, to a task without providing the strength to fulfill the task. So God, I pray you'd help Josh to continually submit himself to you. And uh, we pray you do great works uh, in him and through him. And God, I pray your blessing on this church. Lord, I pray this church would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, become increasingly mature and unified, built up in love, and may others in this community come to know Jesus Christ because of the witness of this church. So we ask your blessing now on Josh, on Carrie, on Robbie, and God, we ask your blessing on this church in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'll be brief. I want to sincerely thank Sam Huggard, who is our district superintendent in the New England district of the EFCA. Him and his wife, Wendy, who are with us today, got to meet them in person yesterday. I corresponded with them both through email. Uh, thankful for what they do to support EFCA churches in this region. Um, I want to thank Carrie. We celebrated our sixth wedding anniversary yesterday. Thank you. appreciate Carrie's constant love and support. This spring, when I first mentioned that I was interested in a church in Connecticut, I cannot imagine what her first thought was. But as that interview process hit the ground running and it quickly looked like we might actually go to Connecticut, she was with me all along, and I'm sincerely grateful for that. 
want to thank our son Robbie, the blessing that he is. I want to thank the great staff that Trinity has, the dream team. I was talking to somebody last week and I said, Lord willing, in 40 or so years when I retire, I hope they're all still working here when I retire. <laughs> I realize some of them will be over 100 years old at that point, but I still think that's an attainable goal. I want to thank our wonderful elder board. I appreciate your support and encouragement. It's not easy to be an elder. It's oftentimes a thankless job. It's a lot of work. It's hard. But I thank you guys. I thank you for your support, for everything that you do, both for me and to lead this church. And I want to thank all of you. I want to thank the congregation from the bottom of my heart. When I first came to Trinity in July as a candidate to be pastor, I already felt like I was part of this church family. My family has felt so welcomed and loved by each of you. Serving as pastor of this church is the greatest honor of my lifetime. I have such a great respect for Trinity. I look at the incredible ministries, the wonderful people that we have in this church, the, the great history that Trinity has going back over 125 years, and it is truly humbling to be the pastor. I know that the last few years have had challenges, changes, COVID, cultural drift from the gospel. You watch the news, it's a scary time. But at this church, I think of how exciting this season is. I see the incredibly gifted people we have. I see the ministries that have been started in recent years and going back many years. And I truly believe that God has great things in store for this church and that a great season is on the horizon. If you're a visitor today, welcome. This isn't what we normally do. <laughs> but I'm thankful, for, I'm thankful that you're here because you're at a special place. There are three things to which, before all of you and before God, I dedicate my ministry. The gospel, mission, and discipleship. Ministry must begin with an unwavering commitment to preaching, teaching, sharing, and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the only news that is truly good news. It is the only message that promises forgiveness. And they are the only words that point to eternal life. And it is the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel to which all churches must be committed above all else. Quoting a favorite passage from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 2, verses 16 through 20, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The gospel is our what, it's what we are doing, it's what we have to share with others. Mission and discipleship are our why, why we're here, why we exist as believers in the gospel. The mission is that we reach those around us with the gospel. As a pastor, I must live that out by living missionally, but I must also constantly beat the drum of our commitment to mission and do what I can to encourage and challenge and equip and teach and train others to join in that mission. 
because each of us knows people in our lives who do not know Jesus. Each of us has opportunities to share the love of Christ and the message of grace that Jesus offers. It's not just my job. It's not just our ministry leaders' jobs. It's not just our elders' jobs. It's the job of all who have the privilege to know the gospel and whose lives have been changed by the redeeming grace of Jesus. Quoting from the end of the Gospel of Matthew, the Great Commission, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thirdly, there is discipleship. Jesus does not simply say to go make converts. He said to make disciples. The mission of the church is not just that we share the message with someone, get them to say yes, and then move on. Rather, it is inviting them along with us into a lifelong process of learning about Jesus, living for Jesus, and walking with Jesus as his disciples. I dedicate myself to being a proclaimer of the gospel, to serving the mission of Christ in the world, and to living my life as a disciple of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given your church to the world, Lord, to shine your light, to be your hands and feet, that, Lord, you have given us the blessing to serve you as your people, that, Lord, you have given us the privilege to be proclaimers of your gospel. Lord, the message that has transformed our own hearts and lives, that we get to share that good news with others. And Lord, for everyone who's in this room today, I pray that, that they know the truth of who Jesus is. Lord, that we are sinful people, but we have a gracious Savior. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray that we faithfully do your will in our community and the lives of those around us, Lord, that we serve and love and shine the light of the gospel on all that we meet. In Jesus' name, amen.